Can I be honest with you guys? Well, I will. So many parts of the Bible are amazing, but I realized that I missed out on them growing up because I thought they couldn't teach me anything, if that makes sense. Um, like, guilty confession for me. Uh, growing up, there was a lot of times where uh, I'd hear like an Easter or Christmas message, and I would just think like, I've heard this a million times. Anyone with me? Like, have you ever been sitting in a Christmas message or Easter message, and you're like, what am I gonna learn from this? I know about Christmas, and I know about Easter. And I think the triumphal entry is one of those ones. Like, it's one of those messages where I've heard it a million times, and so I'm like, yeah, I mean, I know that story. Jesus rides on a donkey. They've got palm branches. They all yell, Hosanna. They thought he was king, which is cool, because I guess he was in some kind of way, king of the universe or something. I think there's so much more here, honestly, guys. I think there's so much more to this passage. Um, so let's dive in, okay? John chapter 12, if you haven't been with us, we're watching movies. They are word by word. So as you read in your Bible, John chapter 12, starting in verse 1, um, everything that's in the video is word for word what's in your Bible. So here we go, John chapter 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the Passover festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, shouting, Praise God. God bless him who comes in the name of the Lord. God bless the King of Israel. Jesus found a donkey and rode on it, just as the scripture says. Do not be afraid, city of Zion. Here comes your king, riding on a young donkey. His disciples did not understand this at the time, but when Jesus had been raised to glory, they remembered that the scripture said this about him and that they had done this for him. The people who had been with Jesus when he called Lazarus out of the grave and raised him from death had reported what had happened. That was why the crowd met him because they heard he had performed this miracle. The Pharisees then said to one another, You see, we are not succeeding at all. Look, the whole world is following him. So there you have it. That's the tr so good. That's the triumphal entry. Hope you're watching. A lot of good stuff there. Here's like the story set up. There are tons of crowds of people there. People who are traveling to Israel for, anybody know? Passover, yes. Passover was that traditional celebration of um, when the angel of death passed over Israel and didn't kill them in Egypt. They killed the Egyptians who rebelled and who wouldn't let the Israelis free. Um, but they passed over the children of Israel who had the blood over the door. So for Israel, um, who is right now currently in the story, Rome is in control of Israel. Like, Rome has invaded. They've occupied. For Israel, this is like a really important holiday for them. Because remember, during the original Passover, what was happening to them then? They were in slavery to Egypt. Exactly. So this is like Christmas, Easter, and Fourth of July rolled into one for Israel. They are loving this Passover. And Jesus is a guy that pretty much the Jews are thinking, man, he's the real deal. Like, this guy is amazing. He does miracles. He heals people. He feeds people. Like, he could be our king. He could be the one we've been waiting for. Now, Jesus uh, 
All this stuff happening in this story, it's all been prearranged. Jesus is just this mastermind. Like, he knows exactly what he's doing. Um, for instance, the donkey, totally prearranged. Um, he's got a guy in the city who's got the donkey waiting for him. If you read the Gospel of Matthew, the disciples come. Jesus is like, hey, go get me a donkey. And they're like, where are we going to get a donkey? And Jesus says, just go to that house and say, the master has need for it. It's like this secret code word. It's, he's got it all set up. It's all intentional. All the things that Jesus has been preaching, he's ready to say, hey, it's real. I'm proving it. I'm declaring myself king. Now, think about it. Like, if you know Jesus, if you stay to the Gospels, is this Jesus' MO? Like, is this what he's known for? Is he known for making a big scene? Is he known for making, like, a dramatic entrance and saying, here I am, I'm the king? No, right? If you know the story, he's constantly healing people, and then everyone's like, I'm going to go tell everyone. I, I was lame, and I couldn't walk, and, and now I can walk. I'm going to walk and run and leap and praise the Lord. And Jesus is like, hey, 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 like, actually, please don't do that. <laughs> please don't go tell people about me. Because Jesus knew that it wasn't his time yet. He knew that if people found out that he was healing people and raising people from the dead and doing all these miracles, that he'd have a huge chance of getting killed by the Pharisees and the Romans. But at this point, Jesus knows his time has come. And we're entering into a little mini-series inside this series called The Last Days of Jesus. This is what kicks it off. Um, there's a great quote here from J.C. Ryle. He says, Let us observe how public our Lord purposely made the last act of his life. He came to Jerusalem to die and desired that all Jerusalem should know it. When he taught the deep things of the Spirit, he often spoke to none but his apostles. When he delivered his parables, he often addressed none but the multitude of poor and ignorant Galileans. When he worked his miracles, he was generally at Capernaum. But when the time came that he should die, he made a public entry into Jerusalem. He drew the attention of rulers, priests, elders, scribes, Greeks, and Romans to himself. He knew that the most wonderful event that had ever happened in this world was about to take place. The eternal Son of God was about to suffer in the stead of sinful men, the great sacrifice for sin to be offered up. He therefore ordered it so that his death was an eminently public death. He's not messing around. He's like, I'm out in the open. I am making a statement. You know, Jesus is not the first king to ride a donkey down this very hillside. Does anyone know what other king rode a donkey down the hillside? Anybody? Anybody? Guess. Think of one king you can think of in the Bible. David, you're right. Yes. So at one point, David was a king who had been outcast. His son Absalom had taken over his kingdom, chased David out of the country, but David had relied on the Lord, and at one point, the king returned to his land, but he didn't come riding on a war horse. He came riding on a donkey. In the same way, on this same hill, King Solomon, David's son, also entered the city on a donkey. Or a, a donkey. What's a donkey? <laughs> I don't know what that is. Jesus is basically, he's, he's doing this, and it's all full of symbolism. It's, it's awesome. Um, let's pray. Did we pray yet? Did we? Did, did I pray? I'll pray. Oh, let's, let's pray. Why not? You can't have more prayer. Or you can't have enough prayer, is what I should say. Let's pray. You can't have more prayer. <laughs> what do you think this is? Just handing out free prayers? Come on. No. Okay, let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, there's so much in this passage. I pray that you'd make it clear. Um, God, oh, man, I'm just a human, and uh, I'm scatterbrained, and I've been busy this week, and Lord, I mean, you're going to have to make this come together. You're, you're amazing, 
And there's nothing I can say that'll bless anybody unless your spirit's here. It's got to show up. Your spirit has to fall on us, Lord. We're tired. It's Sunday morning. We all wish church was at night, but it's not. It's in the morning. God, I pray that you would help us to pay attention to what your word has to say and that we'd open up our hearts. I know you have different things you want to speak to every single person in this room. So I pray you'd open up our hearts to it. In your name, amen. So Sinclair Ferguson says this, every schoolboy is supposed to know Julius Caesar's famous words before he crossed the river Rubicon. He said, the die is cast. And he's talking about dice. It means that a point of no return has been reached. This was true now for Jesus. There was no turning back. Now his last days have arrived. The climactic activity of his life was about to begin. This is like his frozen, like let it go, no turning back, the past is in the past, like I'm just gonna go for it and I am going to conquer the world. I am going to defeat death. This is, this is great stuff. Now, all the people are here. Like in that video you saw, and in the Bible you read, there's people there, and they've got their palm branches. Like the people have lined up. If you missed it in the video, it says in the text, the people were there because they saw a miracle. What was the last miracle that happened? Jesus raised someone from the dead. Who? Lazarus. So the people heard, this guy can raise people from the dead. I got to see him. And they all come out of the woodwork to watch Jesus. And it's been arranged. God has set this up where he's drawn all of these people who are looking to Jesus to be king. He's drawn them there. So as Jesus rides this donkey through the gates of the temple into the courts, they are there praising and worshiping him. The large crowd is there. Jesus is just doing, this is, this is huge. I don't know if you, you, you grasp the hugeness of this. Um, has anyone ever heard of, there's this British street artist, a graffiti artist named Banksy? Anyone, anyone ever heard of Banksy? Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. Yeah? A few people? Okay. So this is Banksy. Well, it's not him. This is one of his works. And uh, he's, he's a graffiti artist. He's, he's, he's like a mystery man. No one knows his true identity. He goes all around the world, and he just graffitis up the place. And with his art, he's always trying to make some sort of statement. This is actually a painting he did on a wall that was actually just a few miles away from where Jesus came on the donkey. And it's a Palestinian teenager, but instead, it's, it's taken from a photo of a teen about to throw a grenade, but instead of a grenade, he's throwing flowers. Two miles away from where Jesus rode. He's this fascinating artist. See, here's, here's the original image um, there in Israel on the wall. And uh, he's this artist that people either love or they hate. Um, but I think an interesting point that we can learn is that what Jesus is up to in his career is very similar to kind of what Banksy does. Let me explain. I'm not saying I agree with what Banksy does or anything like that, but I'm trying to make a parallel. So check this out. Banksy's this guy who's always going around in disguise. You can Google him and waste two hours of your life. There's lots of his stuff. Here's, here's another bit of his work. Um, this is, it's like this sarcastic charge symbolic thing. Um, it's, it, this one's called the Crayola Warrior, and it's supposed to be this commentary on the wickedness of child soldiers. There's countries in the world where instead of using men to fight their battles, they steal children, and they bring them into the war. So you can see you've got this kid, he's got this gun, but the, the ammo he's shooting is crayons. It's this, this crazy commentary on all that stuff. He's brilliant, even if you agree with him or not, he's, he's a brilliant guy. Um, years ago, he became so popular that he started getting invited to, like, put his art in museums. They're like, Banksy, we'll pay you, and you can display your art in the museums. But he hated 
the art show, like he hated the whole scene because he felt like uh, everyone was just into money. So instead of selling his art to the museums, he snuck into the museum and he started just putting his art up, like exit through the gift shop. He's basically saying like, hey, everyone cares about money here. That's all anyone cares about. Um, he's mocking the crazy prices and that whole system. One of uh, Banksy's most provocative things that he's done is he snuck into Disneyland with a bag full of mannequin parts. Like he took a mannequin from a store, dissembled it, like put all the arms and legs and the pieces together. So he's got that in a backpack. He goes to um, Thunder Mountain ride and he assembles the mannequin and dresses it up like a prisoner from Guantanamo Bay, basically making this statement about America and the way they treat their prisoners of war and stuff like that. It's, it's crazy. He's this artist. Here's the point. Here's the point, whether you agree with him or not, because this guy's he's, he's crazy. He's out there. But he's an artist, and he has convictions about politics, religion, and life. And he pulls very calculated public stunts that shock and challenge people's way of thinking. And in the same way, that's what Jesus does. Jesus is this guy who is a revolutionary for God. Not for man. He's, trying, he's not trying to make a point for man. He's trying to make a point for God. And so he shows up on the scene and he pulls this crazy stunt where he's like looking at the prophecies and he's saying, okay, the Messiah needs to come on a donkey. He needs to do this. He needs to do this. I'm going to fulfill all those things. I'm going to make it public. It's going to be in the face of the religious leaders. He's much like the prophets of Israel. Um, I don't know if you guys know the crazy stunts that God told the prophets of Israel to pull. Have any of you guys ever heard any of the crazy stunts that the prophets... Have any of you guys ever read any of the old prophets? Isaiah, Jeremiah, Obadiah. Some of that stuff's crazy. Um, Isaiah. So basically, there's all these books of the Bible that are, that are the prophets. And they were these crazy old guys. I think of them kind of like Gandalf, you know, like wizards. They're out with their staff and their big beard. And they're called by God to, like, make this statement to Israel saying, Israel, you're in sin. You need to repent. So... Um, Isaiah, um, he was told by God to spend one year walking around Israel naked, like yelling and screaming at people. What a bummer. Like, I'm, I'm so glad God doesn't ask people to do that anymore because that's, that's a bummer. Um, but it was supposed to be the shocking image of like, Israel, you're naked before the Lord. Like, your sin is barren and, and just out there for the Lord to see. You need to repent. Um, there's Ezekiel. He was told, shave his head with a sword so not the best haircut, obviously, not a razor. He's chopping up his hair with a sword. And then he's told to, like, go out in the middle of the street for everyone to see, throw his hair up in the air and, like, chop it up in pieces with a sword. And I don't even know. I didn't even study, like, what that was supposed to mean. But it's supposed to mean something. Um, <laughs> you've got Hosea. Hosea was told by God to marry a prostitute. God said, go marry a prostitute. And Hosea's like, why, Lord? And God basically had him marry this prostitute who was married to him, had three kids, then left him, cheated on him, and just went around and just went back to being a prostitute with all these men. And God told Hosea, now you go and you pay for her to get her back. You tell her that you love her, you forgive her, and you redeem her and welcome her back into the family. And it was this picture that God was trying to show Israel I married you. You were a prostitute. You went and you worshiped other gods, but through Jesus, I'm going to welcome you back. I love you. Like, God's, God is always making these crazy statements, and he's doing them in crazy ways. So why is Jesus doing this? Why is he riding on this donkey? Why is he riding on a donkey the way King David did and the way that King Solomon did four days before the Passover? Why is he doing this? Because it's a message. It's a dramatic message to Israel saying, hey, the time is up. The king is here. I mean, you have to understand what he's doing. Like, this would be, imagine marching to the White House. Like, imagine, like, you're in Washington, D.C., 
and you get, uh, you know, a thousand friends, you know, you just go out on social media and you're like, hey, everyone meet up at the White House. And then you and your friends march on the White House and declare that you're the president of the United States. Like, that's, that's what Jesus is doing. Do you think that would be received very well? No, they'd call security. Like, the, this is what, I just want you to see how radical what Jesus is doing is. So the chief priests are upset. Like, the chief priests you saw in the video, you know, they're looking at Jesus and they're like, this guy, like, he's just, he makes us so mad. Everyone's on his side. Everyone loves him. They're thinking, we have a system. The system works. Jesus is trying to break the system. Why is he trying to do this? It would be, seriously, if, like, in the middle of church, I'm here teaching, and some homeless guy walks in, grabs the microphone, and says, hey, I'm God, and I'm going to tell you how to worship me because you're doing it the wrong way. Would we be offended? Would you be offended? Yes, I would be offended. I'm like, you don't know what you're talking about. This is what Jesus is doing. He is shaking things up. The king had returned, and he brought people gifts. He brought his people gifts. And today we're going to look at three. The first gift is justice. So, what is justice? Justice is when something is wrong and somebody writes it. I think of superheroes, like Batman is all about justice. One day, little Bruce Wayne is walking in an alleyway. His parents are murdered by a criminal, a random criminal. And Bruce Wayne says, I'm going to put on a bat costume, and I'm not just going to get revenge. It's not about revenge. It's about justice. I'm not just going to get the guy who killed my parents. I'm going to declare war on all criminals on everyone. I'm just going to go, and anytime anyone's robbing anyone, killing anyone, stealing things, like, I'm going to write it because I love justice. Batman's all about justice. Superman, all about justice. Captain America, he's about truth, justice, and the American way. Yeah. Civil war. So, at this point in the story, Rome, Israel's enemies, had taken over, and they're treating Israel like second-class citizens. Remember, do you guys, I mean, what, what did the Jews go through to get that promised land? A lot, right? You remember the Old Testament? They're, they're wandering through the wilderness for 40 years. They're having to fight battle after battle. And they finally get the promised land. Israel, Judah, these, these nations. And what happens? Rome comes in, kicks them out, and takes over. The mindset of the people at the time, it would have been, this is unjust. It would be like if we in America were having a great time and another country came in, overpowered our military, kicked our president out of the White House, set up shop, and then didn't treat us well. You know, they, they raised the prices for us on everything. They put some of us into slavery. Um, you know, their police come and they're harassing us all the time. Like, that, this is the kind of world that the Israel people are living in. This isn't a friendly takeover. Rome is ruining their way of life. So they're thinking, is this is unjust. This is wrong. We want justice. These wicked people have come into God's holy land, Israel, and taken us out. And you know what? The Jews already thought the Gentiles were worthless. Like, I don't know if you know, but like the, the Jews, their, their mindset of Gentiles was like anyone who's not a Jew is firewood for hell. Like, they just deserve to die and go to hell is what they thought. And so imagine how much they hated the Romans. They weren't like, oh, no, it's fine. The Romans are great. Like, you know, they're, they're okay. They're friendly guys. No, the Jews would have, like every Jew would have grown up, every little Jewish boy would have grown up learning from their parents that these people are our enemies, we hate them, and we hope one day the Messiah comes and kills them all and frees us. That's what's going on. That's the context. Many rebels had risen up, 
If you guys don't know, um, one of Jesus' 12 disciples was a guy named Simon the Zealot. You know what a zealot is? Anybody? He's a political revolutionary. He's a guy who gets a gang of people together and says, let's go fight the Romans. Let's go attack them. Let's take them out. Let's take our country back. Let's make Israel great again. That's, that's what he's going for. That's what he's about. So I'm going to show you a quote from a guy who's all over the news. If you have been following at all, he's, he's a guy that you probably know well. Um, I'm not going to get political, but just... He's a guy who said some stuff, and I think it applies, okay? So this is Mr. Trump. There he is. So this is what he says. He says our country, he's talking about America. I'm trying to relate this to our context here, okay? So Trump says our country doesn't win anymore. We used to win. We don't win anymore. If I'm elected, we'll have so much winning, you'll get bored with winning. Now listen, it's a great quote. Seriously, I want to, like, put it in a frame and just it's an inspirational poster ready to go. But listen, this is exactly how Israel feels. Like, think about it. Like, Israel's probably, look, they're looking at their Old Testament like, we used to win. Remember the Red Sea? We won. The, the Red Sea parted and it crushed the Egyptians. We won. Remember the Philistines? Remember when David came and crushed the Philistines? Man, we used to win, but we don't win anymore. That's, that's how Israel feels right now. We don't win anymore. They wanted a Messiah so they could win. Now, the Sadducees... They were this other group. You guys all know the Pharisees. There's also this group called the Sadducees. Um, they had this belief. Their belief was that the Messiah, the deliverer that they were all waiting for, would show up four days before the Passover, and that's right where we are in the story, four days before the Passover. And so they would keep the gates of the temple open for the Messiah. And Hebrew nationalistic fever was high on that day. It was like, it was like our 4th of July, where everyone's like, yes, America. You know, we shoot the fireworks. This is what they're going for in Israel. Like, this is, the, this is the day that they're like, man, every year we wait for the Messiah to come. Open the gates. Let him come. Let him come. We want our own nation, and the Messiah is going to free us. And so the Roman guards would be on high alert that day. They've got soldiers with swords and spears ready to go. These people are so excited about Jesus. They heard about Lazarus. They heard about the healing. And, and listen, Jesus was everything these guys wanted in a leader. Think about it. He had charisma. He's powerful, wise. He's capable of feeding thousands of soldiers. He's capable of healing wounded soldiers, raising soldiers from the dead. What army on the planet could face a king like Jesus? And then Jesus comes through the gate. And, uh, you know, we would expect him to be riding a war horse. There's Aragorn in the movie Return of the King, connection. There it is, Lord of the Rings. And he's riding a war horse. He's ready to slay the enemies. But Jesus comes in, and he's riding a donkey. Like, what is going on? Like, why is he riding a donkey? This is all calculated. Jesus is thinking this through. Jesus is filling prophecy. He knows exactly what he's doing. Look at Zechariah 9, verse 9. Every Israelite would have known this verse. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, a foal of a donkey. This is so rad. It's all calculated. He, you see, back in those times, if you came on a war horse, what it meant was, I'm coming to kill you. But if you came on a donkey, it said, you were saying, I come in peace. I'm not coming to kill. I'm coming in peace. This would have been very confusing for the people. They're waiting for their war machine to come, and instead he comes on a donkey. He's humble. He's not killing the Romans. And for us, we can look at this passage just like the Jews did, and we can say, Jesus, where's the justice? 
I thought you were coming to bring justice. It's like if Santa came and didn't bring presents. Like if he just showed up in your house and like drank your milk and ate your cookies and you're like, what about the presents, Santa? He's like, oh, I'm over that. I don't do that anymore. I just go to every house and eat their milk and drink their cookies. What? How do you even do that? I don't know. Listen, Jesus knew he was bringing, listen, listen. Jesus knew he was bringing justice. Jesus knew he was bringing justice. What are we talking about? I hope you're tracking with me. I hope you're tracking with me, okay? I'm trying, I, I hope you're with me, okay? Where's the justice? See, Jesus knew something. He knew that everyone had sinned, everyone. Jew, Roman, Gentile, everyone had sinned. And so the Jews are thinking just justice in the small scale sense of we want our nation back. This is unjust. Jesus looked at all of their sins, whether they're Roman, Jew, anybody, and he says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone is separated from God. God demands justice. What's the penalty for sin? What is it? It's death. And so God says, I will die for them. And so this is not justice from our enemies, but justice in the midst of them. Jesus comes not to destroy our enemies, but to save us and to offer salvation to our enemies as well. There's no one like Jesus. There's no one who does this. Jesus isn't thinking about protecting us necessarily from earthly enemies. He's thinking about protecting us from the real enemy. He's thinking about protecting us from the devil, the one who, can't, the one who can kill our soul. Jesus is trying to save us from eternal death. You guys know Psalm 23, I, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not walk. He makes me lie down in green pastures, all that good stuff. There's a part in there where he says, you prepare before me a table in the presence of my enemies. Here's the crazy thing. David's talking about just sitting at a table in the presence of his enemies. You know what Jesus does? Jesus goes one step further. He invites the enemies to come join at the table. Just imagine that. You're sitting at this table, and you've got all these enemies around who want to kill you, and Jesus is there, so you feel protected, and then Jesus is like, hey, why don't you guys come sit at the table? Enemies? It's crazy. But Jesus is the God who loves his enemies. He's the God who dies for his enemies. Is that your heart towards your enemies? Think about the people in your life you can't stand. Think about the people in your life who make your life difficult. Are you willing to give them a place at the table? Are you willing to lay down your rights so that they can hear about Jesus? I wonder if that was confusing. Seeing a donkey, making that connection. I wonder if that was confusing for people. I wonder if Jesus wasn't quite what they expected. And I think we've got a problem because I think, I think honestly with all my heart, I think a lot of times we as Christians, and I, I, I just, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. I think what we care about, a lot of times as Christians in our world, we don't really care about sinners. We care more about their sin and how it affects us. We look at the sin of other people, whether it's one single person or one big group, and we think, man, this person's sin bothers me. I think it's nasty. I think it's gross. It inconveniences me. It makes my life harder. And so we, we, we go to these sinners, and we just try to debate them. I see it all the time on Facebook, like people engaging sinners and just trying to win a debate, just trying to shut them down. One of the things I've seen a lot just in the past 10 years is um, whenever there's a sin problem in the world or in our country, a lot of Christians just try to boycott stuff. You know what I mean? Like, they just try to, like, 
get up and boycott things and try to shut down the problem that way. And a lot of times, the people who are in sin, all they see is that, oh, Christians hate us and they just want to shut us down. Like, they're not, like, a lot of Christians aren't going and talking to people in sin. They're not going and saying, hey, I love you and I need you to know about Jesus and I want to tell you about him. And I was thinking about this, you know, because, I mean, we've got all the different things that are being boycotted, you know, like a a lot of you guys know a lot of different things that are going on, but like a really stupid, simple illustration was the whole Starbucks Christmas cup thing, and that came out, and it was like, oh, no, they changed the cup. Boycott Starbucks, you know? And it's like, why not go to Starbucks and witness to the person behind the register? Why not go to Starbucks and, like, sit down with someone drinking coffee and tell them about Jesus? And I think about Jesus, because let's, let's bring it to Jesus in his time period. Did you know Jesus hung out with prostitutes? Like, yeah, seems kind of sketchy, right? Tax collectors, prostitutes, like sketchy people. If you're on Instagram and you see a picture of me in Brooklyn chilling with a bunch of prostitutes, you're gonna be like, what is going on there in Brooklyn? Like, I think we need to get somebody else as the pastor. I'm really glad they didn't have Instagram back then because there'd be all these pictures of Jesus hanging out with sketchy people. But here's the deal, here's the deal. So Jesus knew very well about the problem of prostitution in Israel. He knew about it. Was Jesus just chill with prostitution? Was he just like, yeah, prostitution's great. Like, who cares? No, Jesus hated prostitution. Like, he hated seeing the way that men in that time would use women and sell them for money. That broke his heart. But did Jesus, like, go and start a movement to, like, boycott prostitution? Did Jesus go out and, like, raise signs and say, get rid of prostitutes, like, prostitutes are the worst, and and the prostitutes are looking at Jesus and like, wow, that guy seems to hate us because he's just going around boycotting us. No, that's not what Jesus did. You know what Jesus did? He hung out with them. He went to them. He didn't yell at them from a distance and say, you sinner. He went to them and directly confronted their sin with love. He spent time with them. He loved them. He accepted them, not their sin, but he loved them. And you know what happened? A ton of prostitutes left prostitution and turned to Jesus and became disciples. Like, it's amazing. What, like, like the, the, thing, the thing I had to realize is that the sin of prostitution was defeated on the cross. It's not gonna, it wasn't going to be defeated by a boycott. It was defeated on the cross. And Jesus knew it was defeated. And so his only thought was rescue mission. Listen, guys, I just mean this from the bottom of my heart because I want you guys to grow up as Christians who have a worldview of compassion and outreach and love for the sinner because that's what the world needs. Not accepting of sin, not saying, yeah, sin is fine. Hatred of sin, absolutely. Hatred of our own sin, hatred of the sins of the world, but love for the sinner. Whatever sin we're trying to boycott in this world, Jesus defeated it on the cross. Think about whatever's the pressing matter of the world right now, the thing everyone's just all up in arms about. Jesus defeated that sin on the cross. He defeated your sin on the cross, and he defeated their sin on the cross, and people still need Jesus. Do we want to win, or do we want to see people saved? If you follow Jesus, you know. He protects us. Let's go back to that verse. Um, So this verse, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. That's Zechariah 9, verse 9. In Zechariah 9, verse 8, one verse before, I'll read it. It says, I will defend my house against marauding forces. Never again will an oppressor overrun my people, for now I am keeping watch. So these verses were probably ringing in the minds of the people, and they're thinking, they're like, 
this guy's on a donkey. The, let's, let's see, I'll open up my Torah scroll. Whoa, one verse before that, it's saying that the one who comes on the donkey will defend the, the house of the Lord against marauding forces. Never again will an oppressor overrun my people. This probably was confusing because did Israel never get run over by enemies again? No, if you know your history, pretty soon after Jesus died, the Romans completely conquered Israel and drove them out of Israel and kicked them out of their own country. And they didn't come back together until the 1940s when God did an amazing work there. So what does the verse mean? Well, listen. This is the awesome thing to me. Jesus is saying to my people, never again will an oppressor overrun my people. Do you know what happens when you're a Christian? The oppressor can never defeat you. Like, we're God's people. We're God's people. The, the Jews who chose to follow Jesus, they were the start. And now we, as the Christians of the world, we are, we're all God's family. Whether you're a Christian in Israel, Germany, England, here in America, we're the family of God. And God is saying, if you follow me, you cannot be defeated. It's an amazing feeling to know you're, you're invincible. Like, yeah, you can hit by a car. A terrorist can shoot you. You can, you know, whatever. You can die in some way. But your soul can never be defeated. And that's what lasts. Our bodies are just tense. It's awesome. The second thing Jesus comes to give is peace. Peace not in the land, but in our souls. Everyone wants peace. Everyone wants peace in their life. How do you get peace? Someone takes your poi, or your toy. What's a poi? Someone takes your toy, you punch them to get it back. Someone insults you, you sue them to get money from them. Someone invades your country, like the Romans in Israel, you fight back and you get your country back. The people wanted peace. This is why they cried Hosanna. Look at the word Hosanna. They didn't show it in the video, they didn't say it, they, they did like an English translation, but if you have the New King James, it should say, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The word Hosanna literally means give salvation now or save us. Now, right now, save us. But it had become to mean this simple expression of praise, kind of like, you know, if you say, hallelujah, praise the Lord, like it, it kind of lost his meaning in the common word. But this expression of praise was not all that was said. This particular expression of praise here in John 12, 13 served a much bigger expression. Look at the next thing these pilgrims continue to cry out after they had seen Jesus. They say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What's the significance of the phrase? Look, look at Psalm 118. You can turn there or you can just read on the screen. So I love, seriously, I love when you get to see in the Bible how things all link to one another. In Psalm 118, it starts out saying, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good because his mercy endures forever. Skip down to verse 8. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Go to verse 19. This is, this is crazy. Jesus has arranged this, and I'm pretty sure that the Holy Spirit has inspired people to cry out, blessed is he who comes in the Lord. That phrase comes specifically from this psalm. Um, look at verse 26, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What else does the psalm say? This is crazy how it all links together. Look at the beginning. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go into them. I will praise the Lord. What's happening in the story? The gates have been opened so that Jesus the Messiah can enter. 
verse 20 says, The gate of the Lord into the righteous, into which the righteous shall enter, I will praise thee, for thou hast heard me and become my salvation. The stone which the builders refused is becoming the headstone of the corner, the chief cornerstone. The, Jesus just recently throughout this phrase. He's saying, listen, I am the chief cornerstone. I'm like the foundation of a building, and you've rejected me. And it all goes back to the psalm. Jesus is thinking about this. He's quoting these things. He's coming through the gates to save people, to be the salvation. Um, this is the day which the Lord has made, verse 24. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And then look, verse 25, Hosanna, Hosanna, save now, I beseech thee, O Lord, O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed be he that comes in the name of the Lord. It just, it all ties together. Jesus is going back to this psalm. He's invoking this psalm. It's, it's so good. So the people want peace. They want to praise the Lord and call out for someone to rescue them. God has set this up so that the people are chanting a line from this psalm. And I believe because, the pe because he wants the people to realize this. Going back to verse eight and nine of this psalm. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. He's trying to show them only God can save them. And who is Jesus? He's God, exactly. That's the beauty of the gospel. God didn't send an angel. He didn't send a flood. He didn't send a thunderstorm. He sent himself, Jesus. God became a man. Here's a quick story. I'm gonna read this. Um, this is a great story. I'm so excited for this story. The Australian police responded to an apartment building after receiving a frantic call from neighbors saying that a man was beating his wife, throwing furniture around, and yelling. You're like, why is this a great story? Just listen. He was, according to the neighbors, he was beating his wife, throwing around furniture, and yelling, I'm going to kill you. You're dead. Die, 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 accompanied by a woman screaming bloody murder. All that happened all right, except the guy was alone in his apartment and always had been. There was no girl involved. So the cops come in, and they're questioning him, and they're saying, well, okay, he's saying that he's been alone. That explains why there's no blood stains. Let's let him speak for himself. Where is your wife, they asked. And he said, I don't have one. Well, where's your girlfriend? I don't have one. So several silent moments pass, and the cops are looking at one another, and they're like, listen, the other people in the apartment had heard the screams, the death threats, and the dull thud of furniture being flung around. So they say, hey, come on, Nate. What have you done to her? And the guy responds, it was a spider, a really big one. And they said, what about the woman screaming? And he goes, yeah, that was me. <laughs> I really hate spiders. <laughs> no one likes false alarms. No one likes false alarms. And many people probably wondered, did Jesus sound a false alarm here? Like, he's, he's supposed to be the Messiah, but he's coming on a donkey. He's, you know, he's not killing the Romans. He's not doing anything. He's saying he, he comes to bring peace, and then he dies. A couple chapters later, he dies. And soon after that, the Romans drive the Jews out of the land. And then look at today. We can look at today. We go, Jesus, you said you're going to bring peace, but there's 10 active wars going on in the world. Is, I mean, where, where's the peace, Jesus? There's only 10 countries in the world that don't even have battles going on. There's, so, there's 10 wars and just hundreds and hundreds of battles. We've got stuff going on in Nigeria. We've got stuff going on in Sudan. Crazy stuff, thousands of people dying in Syria and even Mexico with the drug cartels. There, there is just war after war going on. And so where is Jesus? Where, where is the peace? We forget Jesus' teachings. If you look at Matthew 24, 6, Jesus says, listen, in the last days, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. 
See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is yet to come. Listen, guys, life for followers of Jesus will not be easy. He says that. He doesn't say once you become a Christian, you go to this magical, fluffy land where all your problems go away and just world peace is going to be all around us. No. Jesus says tough, times will be tough as a Christian. You will be persecuted. We're, we are lucky to live in a country where we do not face very much persecution at all, when there are people dying for their faith. What an opportunity we have to share the gospel. But listen, even though the world is full of war and danger, we have something that no one else has. That is peace in our soul. People without peace in their soul, their soul is constantly at war. If you don't have Jesus, you are constantly in a battle between your sin and yourself. Jesus came not to bring peace to our land first, but our souls first. That's what he cares about. So if you're looking at all the problems in the world saying, Jesus, why don't you fix this? Or take it even to your own life. And you're looking at your life and you're like, why do I still have problems? Why doesn't this problem go away? Why is this person getting sick? Why am I failing this class? Why is this so hard? Why is this such a struggle? Why won't she call me back? You know, why won't that girl text me? You know, whatever it is, whatever your issue is. Why didn't she like my picture on Instagram? Jesus didn't come to fix all of those problems right now. He came right now like a doctor. It'd be like if a doctor showed up, and you're like, doctor, like, I need money, and I can't afford my rent, and all this stuff. And he's like, yeah, but you have cancer. I want to deal with that right now. That's what Jesus is doing. He cares about our soul. Now, here's the great thing. There will be peace in the land. It's coming. I'm so excited for it. Because I look at the world and I hate everything that's going on. I hate all the destruction and the pride and the greed and the violence. And we look forward to the day of heaven, the day of the Lord, when God returns and he rights every wrong. And this is, this is what's great. This is what I love. If you look at the book of Revelation, it talks about how God is going to bring all of the followers of Jesus from all the nations of the world together. There will be world peace. I, I used to think back in the day when we went to heaven, we'd all become like Hebrews or something. But in Revelation, it specifically talks about God bringing in the nations of the world. It's going to be awesome. Like, people are going to get along from other countries. It's, we're going to have world peace. There's going to be a new heaven, new earth. It's, it's going to be amazing. In a war-torn world, I'm glad to know the Prince of Peace. The third gift that we see is he was the answer to their prayers. But for the Jews and for us, the truth is, he's the answer to the prayer we didn't even know we were praying. I'm wrapping it up here. This is certainly a triumphant entry, but I imagine Jesus probably saw it as a bit sad because so many were missing the point. So many didn't get why he came. It took them time to get it. And side note, Jesus is patient. If you're trying to grow in Jesus and you feel like you're struggling, Jesus is patient with you. These people probably felt let down by Jesus. Because if you follow the story, after he enters Israel, there's no more miracles. After he enters Jerusalem, I mean, for the Passover, he doesn't do any more miracles. His teaching becomes challenging. He's not giving out free bread like he was before. He, his teaching that he does is mostly on submit to God and be committed. Not exactly what you want to hear when you're suffering from oppression by the Romans. These people want Jesus to make their life easier. They're praying, Lord, defeat the Romans. And instead, he comes on a donkey and dies a few days, days later. Listen, Jesus came to make their life better, but not in the way they expected. He came to deal with the problem of sin. Because Jesus knows that in our sin, we are just as dead as the skeleton in the picture. 
We're dry bones. We got nothing good going for us. I don't care if you were born a Christian or if you got saved yesterday. Without Christ, we, the Bible says we are dead in our sins. And so Jesus came to give life through his death. And these people are praying for someone to rescue them from captivity. Imagine you're a young Jewish guy or girl, and you're waking up every morning, and you read the newspaper or the, the news scroll or tablet, not an iPad, but like a stone tablet. You're, you're reading this stuff every day, and it's telling you about just all these horrible things that are happening to your country. And you're praying every morning, Lord, free me, set me free, set me free, set me free. And you're thinking, set me free from the Romans. But Jesus wants to answer your prayer. He wants to set you free, but he's focusing on setting you free from your own sin. The Romans can kill the body. Terrorists can kill the body. But sin can kill the soul. It's eternal death, separation from God for eternity. We pray, Lord, save me from fill in the blank. But Jesus is going to give us what we want in the end, but he's also going to give us what we need more than anything. One day, you will be saved from all your problems. Heaven's going to be amazing. But for right now, Jesus wants to save you from your sin. Yes, even you guys who have been Christians your whole life, yes, Jesus wants to save you from your sin. We all have sin. We all struggle. And it's so easy to forget that and just sweep it under the rug and not think about it. A lot of people think they don't need help from their sin. We're going to go again to a wonderful man named Donald Trump. And um, he was talking to a pastor about how great his relationship with God was. And the pastor asked him, like, yeah, you're, you're a Christian. So, you know, do you ever ask God for forgiveness for your sin? Like, how often do you pray for forgiveness? And Donald says, I'm not sure I ever asked God for forgiveness. I just go on and try to do a better job from there. I think if I do something wrong, I think I just try to make it right. I don't bring God into that picture. I don't. Then he says, I like to be good. I don't have to ask for forgiveness. And I am good. I don't do a lot of things that are bad. I try to do nothing that is bad. There you go. Simple response from the Bible to that kind of thinking. Acts 2.38, Peter said to them, Repent, each of you, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter admits we need forgiveness. We need it. Verse 22 of Romans, Romans 3.23 says, We were made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, and this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone needs forgiveness. Jesus knows without forgiveness we will die in our sins, but we don't have to because he did. He died in our place. Listen, you can't be a Christian without admitting your need for forgiveness. You just can't. It's like the fundamental essence of Christianity. You have to be able to admit you can't do it on your own. You have to die to yourself. You have to die to your pride and admit you're not good enough to get into heaven because you think you're a good person. You're not. I'm not. I don't know if you need to hear this today, but I know I do. <laughs> Jesus is the ultimate example of dying to himself because Jesus, he knows what, what could have happened. He knows what he could have done. Jesus could have literally kicked down. He could have, like, used the force, like in Star Wars, thrown the temple gates inside. He could have busted in. He could have thrown fireballs at the Romans. He could have pulled out a big sword. He could have rode on a big horse, and he could have rode right up to Emperor Nero, stabbed him in the face, and said, I am the king. He, he could have done it that way. He absolutely could have. Do you remember uh, when Jesus was tempted by Satan? Anybody remember that? Anybody? What did Satan say? He said, hey, just bow down to me, and I'll give you what you want. I'll make you king. I'll, you can be king. You can rule over the world. You can be the king of the world. And what Satan meant is an actual throne where Jesus would have been king of the world, and everyone would have had to do what he said. But Jesus knew, even if he was king of the world, unless he died, 
people would still die for their sins. He wouldn't bow down. He wouldn't give up. He wouldn't give in. Jesus set his resolve on the cross. He had his eye on the prize, and that prize was you. You have to know, this is what's crazy. In this moment in the Bible, Jesus is thinking of you. So I'll just say, if you're here today and anything is holding you back, whether it's pride, sin, guilt, shame, apathy, just not caring, take that off and just let Jesus pass over that. This is a great quote by William Penn. He says, when Christ entered in Jerusalem to people, he, the people spread the garments in the way. They took off their cloaks and they laid them on the ground so that Jesus could walk over them. And when, we, when Jesus enters our hearts, we pull off our own righteousness and not only lay it under Christ's feet, but even trample upon it ourselves. It's a great quote. It's basically saying, whatever's holding you back from following Jesus, just, just take that off. Kind of like you take off a shirt, take it off, put it on the ground, and let Jesus just trample over that. Now, to wrap this up, our final point, I'm going to show you one of the greatest video clips of all time. It is so good. Are you guys ready for goodness? Is, has anyone here not seen The Lion King? Anybody? Really? Have you not? Uh, do you care if I spoil the ending for you? Okay, cool. It's so good, seriously. So I'm going to show you guys the ending of The Lion King. I'm going to give you guys some backstory because I think Disney did a brilliant job of painting a picture of Jesus' triumphal entry without even knowing it. Here's the backstory. The land has been ruined by Simba's evil uncle, Scar, but Simba has returned and defeated him. Now get ready for Simba's epic moment. I'm going I'm to narrate. Get, get ready for this. Are you ready for this? You guys are the most enthusiastic crowd. Here we go. Okay. The land is left in ruin from the sin and evil that has swept across it. The disciples appear, wondering what will happen next. There they are, the disciples. Simba descends into the land from the mount, taking a moment to acknowledge his friends and family. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. There he's gonna hug his mom. Happy Mother's Day. I, I included Mother's Day into this message. There you go, moms but only a moment with his friends and family because the prophet monkeys of old point him to his true destiny. It is time to take his rightful place as king. The son they once thought was dead is now alive and it is his time. It is time. See, it, it is his time. He, he just said it. So, Descending into amazing glory as the disciples watch in awe. Look at them watching. Oh, those disciples. Jesus faces the death and destruction head on. Or Simba, I mean, not Jesus. I'm getting it mixed up. He looks to the Father for guidance. Remember. It's right there. Remembering his true identity, he roars to declare himself king. So good. The disciples cheer. Oh, look at him go. Through the power of Simba, all that was lost to sin is restored, and the land is made holy once again. Look, look at that. I, I, you can't make this stuff up. The people rejoice 
in the streets and praise the amazing King Simba. They rejoice, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of Mufasa with his bride at his side. Like the church, you know, Jesus is bride of the church. Uh, with his bride at his side, Jesus, I mean Simba, looks out on his family and new creation as the birth of a new baby symbolizes the old age of death passing away and the new age of life beginning. It's the circle of life. How good is that? Walt Disney. You, you had no idea you were an evangelist. Now, here's this is crazy, too. Check this out. So, you know in the part where everyone starts doing the, you know, you know, that part, you know? Um, so that's Zulu, an African language. Look at the translation in English. King of kings, our king, ruler of our land. This land of our ancestors is holy. What on earth? Uh, rule this land. Rule with peace. The time has come. It's time to rule. The time has come. Rule this land. The time has come. Rule Simba. Rule our king. Rule Simba. Oh, rule Simba. Ah, king of kings. Rule Simba. Rule Simba. Rule with love. Rule with peace. Rule Simba. Rule. Rule with peace. Rule with love. Dude, I mean, come on. Come on. Is anyone else excited about this? I'm not going to lie. Um, when, I, when I watched this Lion King clip to prepare, I like teared up like four times <laughs> just watching it. There's something about the music that's so good. And even more, like, when I, I'm, I'm not going to lie, when I read this, I like started thinking about Jesus and how he's the Messiah and he's the king. And I started to tear up. I'm a really sensitive guy. Um, two of my favorite things, the Lion King and Jesus come together. Okay, listen, here's my final point. I've only got a few minutes, so I'll make this quick. The king is on the move. And I hope you're excited. I hope you're pumped from watching this video. The king is on the move, okay? Check this out, okay? Here's the deal. Here's my newsflash. The story wasn't just true for the people of Israel in the story of John. Stop looking at it that way. Stop thinking like, oh, yeah, story of John. Jesus came and declared himself king on that day. So cool. What does that have to do with me? No, listen. Jesus declared himself king forever. And then he died, and then he came back, and he's still king. And he's my king, and he's your king. And what do we say? If Jesus is king, that changes everything. The king is on the move, and the story of the Bible did not end on the last page. It's still going today, and it's, listen, today is the last page of the Bible until tomorrow comes, and then tomorrow is the last day of the Bible, or the last page of the Bible. Every day you live is the last page. The story is still being written. Jesus is coming back. Here's the crazy thing. He's coming back, but he's also here. How does that work? He left his Holy Spirit. Our king is with us, and he is doing great things. What great things has Jesus done? Here's some examples in history of how Jesus has been on the move. Racism and slavery, thanks to followers of Jesus, has very much been abolished in our world. There's still some racism, and we're fighting against that in the name of the Lord. Rights for women. The church has been a huge proponent of rights for women. Value of life. People used to sacrifice humans. Now we, the, the followers of Jesus have so much value for life. We fight abortion and all these things. Thanks to followers of Jesus, all around the world, there are charities that help homeless and orphans and widows. There's prison ministries where people go and visit and preach the gospel to the worst of criminals to extend the forgiveness of Jesus. There's been even tribes in the jungle that had cannibalism, and missionaries went and spread the love of Jesus, and now those people don't eat people anymore. So that's a, that's a big plus. Um, that's a big scale stuff. How about smaller scale? There was uh, this church that was doing a message on giving. 
just a normal church, and their pastor is teaching about giving and how we just need, need to give to others and be charitable, and the people got stirred up. And you know what they did? They got all excited about giving, and they called a pizza person. <laughs> they called a pizza person, and the pizza lady shows up. She's like, here's your pizza. That'll be five bucks. They give her a $1,000 tip. All the people in the church were like, we're all going to pull out our checkbooks, and we're going to give. Not to, like, give to the, not, it wasn't some weird, like, tithing thing. It was like they were, it wasn't the pastor trying to be greedy. They just got together $1,000 to give to this lady, and the lady gets the money, and she just starts crying. Because she was just in the hospital. She had a huge bill. She's a single mom, 21 years old, can't pay her rent. And now she was praying, and God brought the money she needed. The, Jesus is doing things. That's, that's Jesus. I don't know if you know, but guys, listen, when Christians do things in the world, it's because we are the body of Christ. So Jesus is doing things. How is he doing it? Through you and me. Are you a part of that? Are you involved? Are you engaged? Are you a part of the king being on the move? Because he invites you to be a part of it. Are you just living for yourself today? Is every day just how can I make myself feel better? How can I look out for me? Or do you love people and reach out for the gospel? I saw this in New Zealand. Um, some of the kids who went on this trip, I just saw them just, man, they got up every morning early. They went out. They shared the gospel even though they were afraid. We saw skater kids come to the Lord at skate parks. I'll have to save that story for another week because we're pretty much done here. But, um, man, that, that missions trip was huge. And some of the kids who went, I just saw the Lord do incredible, crazy things. You weren't living for yourself. You were living for Jesus. But now we're back home. Are we going to keep doing it? Are we going to keep living for the kingdom? Are we going to keep being involved? Take every opportunity to share the love of Jesus to parents, siblings, school friends, strangers. Guys, today, love on your mom, man. Man, I mean, if you haven't told your mom how much you appreciate her, write a letter to her and tell her how much you love her. Give her a big hug. Thank her. Don't spend Mother's Day on your phone texting your friends and Snapchatting just whoever. Spend time with your mom today. That, that's doing the kingdom work. I don't know if you know that. Man, I'm losing you guys. Come on, listen, listen. Today, you giving your mom 100% of your love and attention, that is kingdom work. That's Jesus on the move. Guys, you are growing up, and you're going to have jobs. And the world is telling you that's all about money, and it's all about the retirement plan, and it's all about having four cars and the house with the garage and the boats. Listen, if God wants to bless you with a ton of money, that's fine. But you're called to serve Jesus with your life. We need doctors, lawyers, waiters, baristas, teachers. We need people who are living their lives not thinking about how can I make money, but how can I serve Jesus? We've got to build the kingdom. Okay, one more story and then I'm done. I promise. I'm sorry I'm going a few minutes over. We'll, we'll be done in three minutes. Exactly. Boo. Okay, this is a funny story, okay? I was talking to, you guys know Jimmy Robeson? Remember Jimmy? Jimmy and I in Brooklyn were hanging out on a car ride with some almond farmers who called them almonds instead of almonds. They're like, hey, check out these almonds. No, I'm serious. We were, we were driving to a camp, and Jimmy was telling us this story about how he was on this trip, and it was a long flight, he had a group of people with him from his church. They were going on a mission trip, and it was like a 20-hour flight, just a crazy long flight. And so the people on the trip, they stayed up all night, didn't go to sleep because they were thinking, we want to sleep through this entire plane ride. And then they got sleeping pills. 
And they're like, we're going to take these sleeping pills, and it's gonna just, we're just going to zonk out. We're going to wake up. We're going to be in the country. The guy who was the leader of the trip told everyone, he's like, listen, guys, don't take the sleeping pills until the plane takes off because something could happen, and then you're, you're pretty much just, you're done. <laughs> well, there's this one guy. I don't know his name, but he, Jimmy said he was a really big guy, just a huge, giant man. And that guy took the sleeping pills before the plane took off. He took, like, twice as many sleeping pills as he was supposed to <laughs> and then just, like, fell asleep hardcore. You know what happened? The flight got canceled. <laughs> and so they're shaking him, wake up, wake up. And he's like, what, are we here? And they're like, no, the flight got canceled. We have to, like, wait in the airport for, like, eight hours. He was, like, done. He was stumbling around like a drunk person, just so, like, his body was shutting down. Listen, listen. Don't go to sleep until it's over. Don't go to sleep until the plane takes off. Listen, if you're here today, remember the camp we did, wake up, O oh sleeper. If you're here today and you're just coasting through your Christian life and you're like, hey, man, the rapture is going to happen soon. I'm just going to, like, chill out, wait for Jesus to, Jesus to come back. I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to take any risks. I'm, not, I'm just, I'm just going to live my life and go to school and just be a human being. Guys, that is taking sleeping pills before the plane takes off. I believe in the rapture. I believe Jesus is coming back, but right now he wants us awake. He wants us awake because the devil is around. He's prowling around like a lion, and he's got work. Not the devil. I was going to say he has work for us to do. Jesus has work for us to do, and we need to stay awake. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much, Lord, that you're the king, and you're on the move. God, this story, it's not just a story about how you were declaring yourself the king of the Jews in this in this time period, God, you're the king of the world. God, you're our king. You're the king of your followers. And God, you're ruling. And you're calling us to be a part of what you do. God, help us to be a part. Help us not to just fall asleep before the plane takes off. Help us to realize you have stuff for us to do right now. And God, I pray you just convict everyone here about what it is you have for them. Lord, only you know the plans you have for all these awesome students. I pray they wouldn't just go to sleep and tune out. They would wake up and do what you've called them to do. These young men and women, you've called for a purpose. I pray that they'd rise up and they'd make a stand for you. Show them, God, what that means. Only you can. We love you, Lord. We thank you for being our king. We thank you for coming back for us. We love you. In your name, amen. Amen. I release you. You are free.